feeling in touch with your religious side? Wanting to rid yourself of sin? It's your lucky day because God is a trans woman, woman. Sasha Saide. And Jesus is non-binary, binary, binary. Jacob Gamble. Join us on Queering the Air every Sunday from 3 to 4 p.m. Queer and trans, arts, politics, pop culture, and everything in between. Only on TreeCR Community Radio. Come worship at the altar of your queerness desires. It lingers when we're done. You believe God is a woman. Good afternoon and welcome to 3CR Queering the Air. Um, I'm Jacob Gamble. I'll be taking you through your next hour on 3CR Radical Radio. And before we begin, just want to acknowledge that we're broadcasting today on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, uh, extending my respect to elders past and present, uh, and just acknowledging that this land was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. And also, while we're on the topic of acknowledging elders, wanting to acknowledge to all of our queer and trans elders who have paved the path um, and given us all of the rights and freedoms that we enjoy now. So thank you, um, elders. Today we've got uh, a couple of really exciting guests coming on. I'm joined live in the studio um, by a very prominent uh, and well-knowledged activist. Um, And later on, we're actually going to be talking about something a little more lighter, which is about the queer-coded world uh, of ancient Greece. But First, I guess let's introduce our wonderful guest, Jackie Mae Turner. Welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming in. It's it's so good to have you down all the way from Sydney. How are you feeling on this fine Sunday afternoon? Oh, <laughs> I'm good. Um, I was out at, um, I saw Anne Juliet last night, so actually feeling mm. a little dusty from having after um, drinks afterwards, but mm. uh, feeling, you know, alive for a Sunday. Yeah. Alive and well is <laughs> the, the main message I'm getting from that. Um, now, you're the founder of an organization called the Trans Justice Project. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, the, the organization and where it came about? Yeah, so I started the Trans Justice Project um, because I saw what was happening in the US and the UK around uh, movements to oppose um, and undermine the rights of trans and gender diverse people. And seeing how organisations um, like that were starting to set up in Australia and um, there wasn't really an organisation at the time that was set up to push back against the anti-trans lobby and also start, um, I guess, rallying support from allies in the broader community and building understanding with them about why we actually need to support and stand behind trans and gender diverse people. Mm. So I launched that at the beginning of the year with a crowdfunder um, that went really great and got a lot of support um, from the community, which was really awesome. Um, And we've just sort of uh, started launching our first couple of campaigns um, with um, a survey into anti-trans hate that we released about a month ago, Mm. um, looking at the change over time in how people are experiencing that in the community. Mm, it's so important because I feel there's a, a conception that, you know, as a community, we've come so far with, with our rights and our freedoms, which, you know, we have, progress has been mm. made, but there seems to be this recent surge in anti-trans hatred. I mean, where do you think that's come from? I think one of the things um, 
People often ask me where the surge in anti-trans hate has come from, and I think that people think it's something natural or organic that has come about. I think it's really important that people understand that this is something that's organised. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of organisations uh, out of the US that we know have done strategy work around um, how to build anti-trans campaigns and then have mm -hmm. funded anti-trans organisations to help them carry out that strategy. So, for instance, we know that um, the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is, you know, a great mm. name, sounds like an evil villain, right? Um, <laughs> gave a whole bunch of money oh to an gosh. organization called the Women's Liberation Front that was an um, anti-trans um, group hosted out of the US. And we know that there are connections between similar far-right funding and think tank groups in the US and mm. also what's happening in the UK right now. So, it's part of a coordinated strategy. These people are funding each other, planning stuff together, and thinking about how they um, escalate this campaign um, against our community. Mm -hmm. And my one of my personal, well, I wouldn't say favourites, but one that always stands out mm. to me, gays against groomers. I mean, yeah. there's nothing that gives me the ick more than, you know, a, a transphobic, gay, cock-sucking man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think the groomer rhetoric stuff is, is like particularly horrific and disgusting, isn't it? Mm. It kind of like brings up all of the most horrible, like archaic, disgusting things that, mm. um, people have said always about LGBT people. And, you know, obviously it's totally untrue, but it's also really dangerous for people to be throwing around aspersions about whether people are being groomed. Cause not only does it, you know, make it harder for, genuine victims to come forward, mm. right? Like, and um, devalues the experience of survivors. But also, um, it's a strategy that's been used to fuel violence against our communities, right? Like, mm. um, and that's what we're seeing in the US right now. Like, all of that groomer rhetoric is, you know, on the uptick. And we're also seeing an uptick in violence and, and um, you know, hate-fueled attacks on the community. Mm, and this sort of conflation uh, with drag queens as yeah. well, which really is a, it's a totally different thing. As we know, it's not... Totally. You know, there are trans drag queens, but a drag queen and a trans person is a, a totally different thing. Like, yeah, that one blows my mind. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And what do you see as sort of the main items of disinformation? I mean, you mentioned grooming before, but yeah. what are some other strategies that are used against trans people to, to fuel this transphobic movement? Well, I think what we're seeing in Australia right now um, is what was happening in the US and the UK three or four years ago. Hmm. You know, we're starting to see some anti-trans articles appearing in mainstream news. Um, we're starting to see... Uh, medical disinformation be printed in um, mainstream newspapers as if it's actual um, medical information. Mm. Um, and we're also uh, starting to see um, smaller hate groups get set up. Obviously, um, you've seen a bunch of this down here in Nam, but um, we're seeing groups like that start to uh, pop up around the country, groups that are dedicated to opposing the rights, freedom and healthcare of trans people. So, it's kind of just on its little um, baby step beginnings here. And mm. I think it's really important that people actually take it super seriously because um, we know from what's happened overseas that this stuff can actually escalate really quickly. And like now is the time to start getting your organizations in order and like mm. having really clear protections for your workers and staff and students um, around 
anti-trans uh, rhetoric, anti-trans vilification, these sorts of things. And also like making sure that like someone who is, let's say like involved in anti-trans organizations, like actual hate groups, mm. can't be like the president of your company or like, you know, holds like a really high position in your organization, just as you wouldn't let another, you know, a person who was involved with any other kind of hate group hold those kinds of leadership positions. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I saw a comment the other day that kind of put it well, that you wouldn't put mm. a flat earther in charge of an astronomy course, would you? So, totally. So it's it's kind of like that, right? It's, it's putting an extremist in a position of power. I think that's a really good point too, because um, with what you were saying before about key pieces of disinformation that's being shared at the moment, mm. I think lots of um, what... Um, is being done at the moment is like this thing of like just asking questions like you know oh we're just asking questions about gender affirming healthcare or like mm. whether we should really believe trans people when they say who they are and these sorts of things and um you know that's a really strategic way to start the conversation that they really want to have about whether trans people should be respected have rights you know be included mm. in society like all these sorts of things right um but lots of it's targeting parents um, lots of it's targeting parents who maybe have trans kids, maybe have queer kids of some other kind, um, to basically stoke fear about um, what it means to um, have your child access um, affirming health care, which is really dangerous. It puts kids at risk of family violence. It puts them at risk of conversion practices mm. and a whole bunch of other um, yeah, really damaging things. Mm-hmm. It's really the the ember of the flame. Um, yeah. To I feel like I'm going really strong on metaphors today, but <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, so what do you see as some of the main misconceptions um, that are held by trans exclusionary radical feminists and you know other transphobes? <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Um... Yeah, if anyone wants to see, you can check my Twitter mentions today. Uh, <laughs> I have a, a tweet currently going off and it's attracted a whole bunch of people. But um, I think uh, I think there's a whole worldview, right, that um, sees trans people as something that's just popped up out of nowhere and that there's some sort of ulterior motive um, to who we are. Um, and I guess... Uh, what I've been trying to communicate a lot through the, the work that I've been doing is how trans and gender diverse people have obviously been here throughout history. Um, we are in every culture on the planet, you know, like mm. we are part of what it means to be um, human and uh, part of that natural diversity. Some people don't like that. Um, and they don't think that we should exist. Um, but of course here we are just living in, uh, spite of that and living our lives. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of work that I'm doing at the moment around, I guess, dispelling some of these um, myths that are particularly coming out of the sort of like QAnon conspiracy circles mm. about that, you know, you can be turned trans or something like this. The same sort of thing we saw about gay panic, right? Mm. That exposure to someone who is gay will make you gay. Um, so... I've been working a lot to um, talk to um, people about how we can undermine um, that disinformation in the media um, and also like help equip parents to identify disinformation more easily for themselves. 
Mm. And I, I want to touch on um, those strategies mm. later. But sure. um, first, I'd be really interested because I can see on your social media, you've made some resources about yeah. um, the weaponization of detransition, which mm. I think it's something I've been seeing a lot online, particularly on like TikTok, Twitter, talking about, you know, I'm a person and I've detransitioned and, you know, trans um, gender affirming healthcare is dangerous because it didn't work for me. I mean, what would you say to those people who would, who say, you know, tr- this is an example of uh, a, a threat to our children and, you know, using this as, as a weapon? Yeah, look, I think the fundamental thing is, is that these people are being put up on a pedestal by people who do not have the best interests of trans and gender diverse people at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, they are doing things to try and hurt us and um, the people that they have, um, the people of detransitioned who um, they have used for these attacks, um, I think are being exploited. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a real shame. You know, everyone's gender journey is different. Um, I wouldn't want to devalue what anyone feels about, um, you know, whether, you know, they um, felt like they had... Um, you know, needed more time or, or whatever it is. But I think the fact is, is that like gender affirming care is, has an incredibly good track record of being mm. um, uh, very helpful for trans people and a very low regret rate. But I think that more than that, this stuff goes back to the heart of how people are allowed to make decisions for themselves. Mm. You know, it's about autonomy. It's about informed consent, being able to make the choices for ourselves, and being able to also then bear the consequences of that. If our choices turn out to be wrong for us, like that's just a part of it, right? Mm -hmm. We don't stop other forms of medical care just because a small percentage of people decide that it was wrong for them. Um, We give people the information and allow them to make the decisions themselves. Mm, such a great point. And, and just adding mm. on to that as well, it's there's a statistic here that only between 1% to 3% of people who seek medical gender affirmation decide to detransition, just um, adding to your point there. Totally. I think the evidence is just really clear that trans people know who they are. Mm. We tell the truth about our lives. And we're also um, the people who can be, you know, who are the best judges of, of what our needs are, right? Mm. Um, and if services were um and society was less pathologizing less shame shaming towards trans people and there was less stigma associated with being trans Mm -hmm. a lot of this would be a lot easier for trans people to access services and also you know decide what's right for them um in the time that they choose Mm. i think that argument um is very much used as well in this sort of fear-mongering of gender or radical gender ideology being taught yeah. in schools too. I mean, what do you have to say about about that? That to me is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, what do I have to say about the, the argument? Or? Yeah, yeah, the fear-mongering around yeah. radical gender theory. Look, I think that, yeah, <laughs> I think that... Um, it is not radical to say that trans people exist and that we are here and that some of us have jobs as teachers and some of us are parents and some Mm. of us are kids, you know, like I just don't think that's radical. Um, so I don't see why there's any problem with telling kids about trans people. Um, like unless you want to just deny reality. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love <laughs> Straight to the point. Um and let's let's touch a bit on uh how people can combat this disinformation mm. in their communities. And you know, if you're a parent, a a trans person or, you know, an ally in an organization, 
What can people do to combat transphobia? Yeah, so I think with the disinformation stuff, it's really um, it's really important that people don't underestimate just how um, malicious and organized this stuff is. When mm. I started looking into it about a year or two ago, I was expecting it to be like, you know, some off the cuff sort of thing that, you know, you know, like, um, expecting it to be some random hate sites and that sort of stuff, mm. which is part of it. But actually there are a whole bunch of medical, um, organizations or organizations that frame themselves as being medical organizations that have been set up to spread medical disinfo about trans and gender diverse people. Mm. So it's really important to look out for where you're actually getting information from, does that organization work with trans people? Do they work in partnership with trans people? Um, do they align themselves with the standards of care that already exists? You know, trans people have been working for a really long time to have decisions over the things that affect our lives and to be able to have a less pathologizing approach to healthcare. And we've been doing that by working with policymakers and doctors um, and like physicians and stuff. So I think that getting your information from those people who have do been doing the work for decades mm. <laughs> is probably a better bet than, you know, um, 4chan or, <laughs> you know, your, your QAnon telegram. Yeah. But I think, it's, I think it's really important to, yeah, be looking at where that information's coming from, right? Um, and some of it sounds really scary and some of the information is really, um, can be really challenging for people too. So I think um, I've written some articles about this. They're linked in my bio on my socials that go into this in quite a lot of depth. Mm -hmm. So I think feel free to check them out. But um, also if it sounds really scary and wrong, um, it probably is. Mm. <laughs> Great points there. We'll, we'll definitely link those uh, articles in our show notes uh, after the show today. Uh, Jackie, it's Ida Hobbit on Wednesday, mm. which is, as we know, the commemoration of when the, the World Health Organization declassified homosexuality as a disease. Do you have a message for hope uh, for any of our trans listeners tuning in today? Yeah, I do. I think that we're in a really interesting time right now. Um, before us, there's a bit of a fork in the road. On one side, some things look really scary, right? Like there's um, these movements that we've been talking about um, that are doing some really horrible things. Mm. But also on the other side, we're seeing a lot of solidarity. Um, we're seeing people standing up. I get contacted by parents of trans kids quite a lot and by young trans people who are seeing people who are just a little bit older than them, um, you know, who are living full lives, have, you know, jobs, partners, you know, um, are living um, lives that they find fulfilling. Um, and I think that, you know, it doesn't all have to be doom and gloom. If we're mm. um, taking action now, um, we actually have an incredible opportunity to craft a much better future for trans and gender diverse young people, um, especially going into um, like the next few years ahead. Like um, we've seen so many new pieces of policy in the last couple of years alone that have allowed trans people more access to medical care, better access to changing their like identity documents and protection from discrimination. Like let's keep doing that. Mm. Mm. I love that. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for your time and for coming on to Queering the Air. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Um, one last request. I know you've got a bit of a song um, that we mentioned before, which we're giving you the, the trans liberation energy. Um, do you want to introduce it for us? Sure. Um, <laughs> well, I I um I, I will preface it by being like I love Grace Petrie. Um and so 
Um, I don't care if this is a, a dorky choice, but I love Grace Petrie. She has my heart. When I was having a really tough time early in my transition, um, somebody sent me this song um, from a butch lesbian in the UK who stands with trans people. So I hope you enjoy it. And this one's Black Tie by Grace Petrie. It's a jungle out there The year 2018 I didn't think We'd still be sorting babies Into blue and pink And all our progress Well I wonder what it means That the only girls close that work for me Turn out to be boyfriend jeans Well that's fine Cause I decline A narrow set of rules That just don't work Cause these red lines but they're not mine And if you need me You can find me ironing my shirt Cause I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to mine Year 11 self In a year 11 out Saying everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find clothes that fit And the images that fracture Structure, and you never will surrender to a narrow view of gender And I swear there'll come a day when you won't worry what they say On the labels, on the doors, you will figure out what's yours And it's a bloody nightmare Trying to fight the spread of bigotry and fear that's uniting Piers Morgan and Jermaine Greer And all our progress, yeah I wonder who it's for When I dare to utter that trans lives matter here And all I got was a turf war, well that's fine Cause I decline Your narrow set of rules, they just don't work These red lines, but they're not mine And if you need me, you can find me Cause I'm in black tie tonight Get a postcard to mine Year 11 self In a year 11 hell Saying everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it You will find your clothes that fit And the images that fracture We're a patriarchal structure And you never will surrender To a narrow view of gender And I swear Nothing to do with fitting neatly in a box That was constructed to make it seem Like people come in just two teams And anything that's in between ain't good enough And you will love And you'll be loved And you're in black tie tonight Get a postcard to my year 11 self in a year 11 hell Darling, everything's gonna be alright No, you won't grow out of it 
You will find clothes that fit And the images that fucked you Were a patriarchal structure No, you never will surrender To that narrow view of gender And there's folks you've yet to meet But you're exactly up their street And they've been waiting just as long To hear someone sing this song And better days are on their way When it won't matter what they say On the labels, on the doors You will figure out what's yours And girl, you're gonna be so happy And girl, you're gonna be just fine And girl, you're gonna be so happy Down the line, down the line Wholesome track there from Grace Petrie. That one was Black Tie. You're on 3CR, queering the air with myself, Jacob. Um, welcome to the show. If you're just tuning in, we just had a chat with Jackie Mae Turner from the Trans Justice Project, all about combating disinformation around trans people and the recent surge in anti-trans sentiment. Uh, I also just want to take this moment to acknowledge that this coming week is Nakba, uh, which is the commemoration of when British forces uh, began the military occupation of Palestine under the state of Israel. Um, and just wanted to extend solidarity and support to all of the Palestinian um, diaspora here in Nam and also across Australia and around the world. Uh, we'll be chatting a bit more on that in a couple of weeks, I think, looking at uh, Israeli pinkwashing um, and what we can do to support our Palestinian queer and trans siblings. But just wanted to extend my support there. Um, and yeah, solidarity. Now, we're going to play another track. This one came out last week, I think. It's called Don't Go Through My Phone. Uh, it's by an artist who we've had on this show, uh, Dodi Versace and Jamaica Moana. Hope you enjoy.
little shit, he wanna take me home. Boy. Don't mind me, I will get my coin. Kiss him in the club, then I dump this boy. So whole heart, keeping him annoyed. Ahoy. Boy. Making me tired, I will call him Snorlax. Roll up the weed and the drinks. That. Do anything that he thinks. That. Try to see my phone, but I gotta. That. Hit a WhatsApp, motherfucker. That. No, you're not Amanda, you a man, not all that. Welcome back, 3CR Queering the Air. You're joined by myself, Jacob. Uh, that one was Don't Go Through My Phone by Dirty Versace and Jamaica Moana. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of the other day, like when my friend was trying to show me something from a WhatsApp chat. And you kind of, you know, when you're like showing someone your phone, you, you sort of have to keep your phone very close to you because you don't know what's going to show up. It was kind of one of those situations. But anyway, we're going to move on to our next guest uh, today. I'm joined by the lovely Tobias Fulton, who is a classical uh, historian, and they've got a really exciting event coming up uh, about the queer-coded world of ancient Greece. Um, Just having some trouble getting them on the line, if you just give me a hot minute... Um, look, we're going to jump to another song. Uh, in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this one. It's called Apollo's Mood by the Olympians.
Welcome back. You're on 3CR's Queering the Air. That was a little snippet of Apollo's Mood by the Olympians. Um, And that was actually a strategic choice by me to get you in the mood, Apollo's Mood, if you will, um, for our next segment, which is all about the queer coded world of ancient Greece. And I'm thrilled to be joined by my next guest, which is Tobias Fulton. I've got Tobias on the line. Tobias, hello. How are you going? How are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not too bad. Thank you. It's such a thrill talking to someone who works um, in history, given the, the subsequent cuts uh, from the Morrison government of anything arts related. Um, <laughs> talk us through yeah. what's your what's your kind of area of study or area of passion here? Yeah, so my, my area is quite interdisciplinary, but I predominantly look at uh, ancient Greece and Rome, uh, particularly uh, in sexuality, gender, identity, material culture, and anything that I can put my queer little hands on. So, <laughs> mm. so ancient Rome. Hey, I feel like I've been introducing it as, as ancient Greece. Am I wrong? Ancient Greece and Rome. So oh. the study of classics is kind of the ancient Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. It and like all the. Um, kind of intersecting cities around or like cultures around Greece and Rome. So we've got Egypt as well as like ancient um, uh, Persia and like Anatolia. We've got, you've got a whole plethora of things that you can look at, but predominantly for me, Greece and Rome. Nice. Nice. Such a world of untapped knowledge for myself. I mean, what do we know <laughs> about queerness in, in the ancient um, Mediterranean uh, area. Yeah, that's that's a very that's a very difficult question to actually answer. It seems simple, but mm. um, for me, I think when we talk about queerness in ancient Greece and Rome and the wider Mediterranean, we actually need to tread really carefully because their sexuality and gender practices are structured around these really quite alien cultural paradigms for us that often don't really align with our current understandings of sexuality and gender and queerness and any kind of other intersecting aspects of identity practices. So we really need to be careful about that, especially because, you know, our identity categories such as gay and lesbian and bisexual and even heterosexual, uh, transgender, queer, all of these kind of yeah, identities didn't exist in antiquity to the extent that we understand them. So something that's like that looks queer to us might not even be read as, you know, queer or outside the norms of antiquity. Mm. But at the same time, <laughs> these worlds are also comprised of, you know, the you know, of humans with the same basic drives and needs and emotions as our own. And, uh, you know, also places where we're filled with, you know, other types of oppressions and silencings and anxieties around individuals and communities that fall outside of, you know, their social cultural norms. So I don't find it surprising that a lot of queer folk find relatability in the historical past and they're trying to find um, queer history. But just to try and locate exactly where it is, is just, it's like a minefield. <laughs> mm, mm, absolutely. And queerness obviously as we know today wasn't known as that in the past but what have been some fun kind of highlights or even some stories that you've uncovered throughout your your time as a historian that's 
that's uh, such a hard question for me because I could sit here for hours just telling <laughs> you all of them. Um, but honestly, at the moment, I've been pretty fixated on uh, a section from Plato's Symposium, who was a Plato philosopher from around the 4th century. Um, actually, I've got the, the passage here, if you'd like me to recite it. Please, um, yeah. Uh, so... It's a passage in the symposium and it discusses Aristophanes' approach to kind of like love and human nature um, and specifically the origins of human beings. And it goes, uh, long ago, our nature was not the same as it is now, but quite different. For one thing, there were three human genders, not just the present two, male and female. There was also a third one, a combination of these two. Now its name survives, though the gender has vanished. Then, androgynous was a distinct gender as well as a name, combining male and female. Now nothing is left but the name, which is used as an insult. And then later he goes on to say, the reason why there were these three genders and why they were as described is that the parent of the male gender was originally the sun, that of the female gender, the earth, and that of the combined gender, the moon, because the moon is a combination of sun and earth. So I've been quite interested in just the... The fact that they were talking about that in the past, to, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, non-binary kind of took its own form as androgyny from the sounds of it. Yes, well, that's where we get the term androgyny from, from the Greek. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, you know, we were talking earlier on the show about the the recent surge in anti-trans and anti-queer uh, rhetoric in Australia. Can... Can modern Australia learn anything from the ancient world, uh, given the current state of affairs? I 100% believe that we can, absolutely. Um, I think modern Australia and, honestly, internationally, uh, can learn so much about complex human diversity and uh, subjectivity from ancient Greece and Rome and, yeah, the wider Mediterranean. Um, I mean, if anything, I think the passage from the symposium showcases that discourses and recognitions of gender nonconformity and uh, non-normativity, I guess, were a conscious part of their living world in the past. So regardless of whether Aristophanes does claim that the androgynous or third gender doesn't exist at that point in time where he's speaking, um, it's the fact that he kind of discusses it at all that indicates that such people were recognised in the ancient past. Um, and, I mean, that's not even the only piece of evidence that we have for ancient gender constructs that fall outside of, like, binaries, I guess. But I like to think that, you know, even just, like, one example can show that, you know, it's not like a fad or a push from like, the radical left or this new thing that we're doing, but has been truly a staple of human history. I think I actually heard Jackie say something about that, which I was very excited about. Because, like, yes, like, these concepts have existed for a long time and they've been really important throughout history to talk about. People have been aware of this. It's not new. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you mentioned before, like, the Aristotle's passage that you just read was, was one example. I mean, if you had any off the top of your head, I'd love to hear um, any other examples you have. Yeah, I mean... Or which one will I go to? I mean, if you if you look into myth, um, Dionysus um, was a very uh, gender fluid being. Um, I use gender fluid quite colloquially, so. Um, mm. But you know, he was very effeminate, um, raised as a as a as a young girl um, in one myth, and then kind of came into more masculine presence as well. 
Um, you have uh, in ancient Rome, you have the Gali, which are priests of one of the goddesses called Kivili, and the Gali actually were these uh, religious priests that worshipped this goddess and would dress femininely. Um, they were, you know, assigned male at birth but would dress femininely um, and wear makeup and feminine clothes and crimp their hair and were known to be not necessarily men but not necessarily women mm. uh, because of the, you know, societal, like, I mean, if you look at ancient Rome and Greece, they had pretty strict binaries but you could kind of play within those binaries as well mm-hmm. so there's and that's just two <laughs> there's heaps i could i could um talk about right now yeah please i mean we've still got another 10 minutes on air so is there any other oh, um stories that <laughs> that stand out to you um i mean i think like for me one of the best examples is sappho i don't know if you've kind of heard about her she's one of the more famous of the ancient queers as i like to call them mm. <laughs> i i haven't um, heard uh, oh okay well um sappho i mean that's where sappho was a poetess from uh, the island of lesbos um and the the terms sapphic and lesbian are, are actually quite tied up with her name because of the poetry uh, that she wrote, which kind of alluded to these like erotic or sensual um, acts towards other women. So this was a, this you know, Sappho was a woman who was writing about other women. Um, oh. So we kind of like in the more recent centuries, we've we've really um, we've really seen Sappho as this like mother of lesbians almost because you know lesbos lesbian. Um, which is not necessarily like that's a very surface level reading, um, but that's become quite intrinsic to to queer culture with lesbian, lesbos, sappho, sapphic. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think it was Kate Gilhully in her book Erotic Geographies in Ancient Greek Literature and Culture that also points out that even though these words are tied to uh, Sappho and Lesbos is tied to lesbian and Sappho, uh, Sapphic, sorry. Um, in the 5th century, Aristophanes, again, um, coins the term uh, lesbian, which actually means to act like a person from Lesbos, but this has mm. connotations of performing lewd heterosexual acts, um, playing in the style of lesbian poets. So it actually was like a slur against Athenian men for his musical style. So it's like... Lesbian actually kind of meant like heterosexual acts, but now it's it's <laughs> it means like women loving women. Mm. So you can see like there's so much nuance and and um, it's really quite intricate to kind of you know um, pull at these threads and, and see how many different ways we can understand the past and that there's no one true meaning because it always constantly changes and evolves. Because, you know, just because Aristophanes says that, you know, that lesbian means, you know, heterosexual acts, that doesn't necessarily mean that we also can't say, like, yes, Sappho also wrote about poetry uh, towards women, which Mm. is really divine and great and can resonate with a lot of queer people as well. Mm -hmm. I've always thought of um, lesbians as pioneers in their own right, and I think this just... um goes to show that's correct i suppose <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's not really one way to to categorize a lesbian i mean 
if you mm. live on the island of Lesbos today, technically you are a lesbian. So yeah, <laughs> a message to any uh, <laughs> listeners coming to that from that side of the world. <laughs> um, why do you think it's it's important? I mean, this is so entertaining to me, and I love it. But beyond you know having a, a fun chat with a friend, why do you think it's important to preserve this kind of history? Yeah, I mean, this is this is basically my, my PhD project, what I'm trying to do at the moment, but um, I do believe that these histories and mythologies really help us gain like a more nuanced understanding on human diversity and modes of just being that go even beyond like a standard definition of queerness. Like it can go beyond that because really we're looking at just how people lived, how people identified, how people understood themselves. You know, and it's and it's extremely complex, and it's extremely complex then as it is now. I mean, our understanding of sexuality and gender is so unstable, um, which is not a bad thing. But you know, it's just it's so rich and diverse, and to just with all of these conversations and this rhetoric happening at the moment about like identity politics and culture wars, and trying to just like uh, definitively say that something is one thing, I think makes it harder for us to actually kind of just explore ourselves and explore what makes people people, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think we, we often get lost in the language um, and really uh, so many people have been living outside of strict binaries and strict um, labels for so long, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, because like the ancients didn't really think about like sexuality and gender in as like intrinsic core parts of their identity the same way that you know is is very much um a thing now so it's really important to kind of see that and be like oh we don't have to just think about it like that we don't have to just make sure that everyone understands me just as this sexuality or this gender it can be Mm. so many other things and have so many other meanings yeah, such great points, Tobias. And I understand you've got um, an event coming up as well in Melbourne, which is super exciting. Yes, I do. Um, so I am one of the uh, education and public employees at the only museum uh, that promotes and showcases and preserves Greek art, history and culture from ancient to contemporary. Um, this is... Greek love is my event and is no pun intended. It really is my pride and joy. Um, (laughs) I began this project uh, last year with the Hellenic Museum in 2022 when I was a volunteer. And now I have been, uh, you know, taken on board as one of the employees. We've kind of made this uh, much bigger this year. Uh, So it's going to be on June 9th. Um, and Greek Love is aimed at introducing the kind of unique and wonderful queer histories and mythologies of the ancient Mediterranean to wider audience, uh, audience audiences um, in an accessible and relaxed way. So it's quite casual. There'll be um, speakers, including myself. Uh, we'll have three other brilliant LGBTQ classicists and historians who will be talking about classical antiquity through a queer lens and their own research. Um, and we'll also, this is like one of the most exciting parts for me, um, we'll be launching a new exhibition uh, alongside Greek Love as well, which coincides with the themes of queer antiquity, which is called uh, Greek Love Outside the Lines. 
So the museum has actually commissioned uh, such a gorgeous queer Canberra artist, Matix, to kind of design this life-size interactive paint-by-numbers, an illustration which is based on the themes of the night, the topics, and any figures that are discussed during the the event, and then the audience uh, is actually invited to help fill in the artwork together, Mm. and it'll then be exhibited for around three months. So it's this massive uh, paint-by-numbers that'll be on like four walls in one of the exhibitions and you can actually like paint in a museum on the walls i love paint by numbers that sounds absolutely (laughs) divine (laughs) it's bringing me back to my days um as a typo christmas casual actually when we sold so many of those mini um paint by numbers but i'm sure yours will be much more grand than that so just like take that and then expand it like tenfold and then put it on a wall (laughs) and then in a museum (laughs) That sounds absolutely amazing. Well, Tobias, thanks so much for your time today and sharing all of your wonderful knowledge around um, the ancient queers. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, not a worry. Well, um, we'll say goodbye for now. Hope you have a lovely afternoon and best of luck with your event. Yes, you too. Thank you. Thank you. So that was uh, Tobias Fulton there, classical historian, speaking about uh, the ancient queers of the Mediterranean and their event coming up uh, about queer histories in in Greece. So um, one to keep an eye on. We'll be right back after this announcement. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. You're on Queering the Air on 3CR. Um, That brings us to the end of our show today. But just want to give a massive thank you for everyone listening in. Um, And a massive thank you to our two guests uh, today, Tobias and Jackie. Um, You can stay up to date with their work by heading to our show notes at 3cr.org.au forward slash Queering the Air. We'll pop all of that up in the next hour. Um, And I also just want to touch on as well, we've got our Radiothon coming up. So if you like this show, if you like this station, if you like independent media, um, now's the time. If you have the means to open up your wallet and give us um, a bit of money to to keep the station going, that'll be coming up uh, in June. But just so, you know, don't have to open the wallet now. But coming up soon. So please uh, consider donating and keeping the station on air, keeping Radical Voice alive uh we're gonna finish up now with a song stay tuned because salam radio is next uh with mirna or uh and jahan uh so yeah you're on 3cr my name's jacob and this was queen the air